You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt. Nothing's changed. The circus moves on, rinse and repeat. We have an opportunity to become Europe's Silicon Valley. We can perhaps be a broker of some sort with Ukraine. We expect inflation to come off quite rapidly in the rest of this year. Obviously, we want to see that happen. What we now need is a period of stable, quiet, serious government. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Stephen Carroll. We have a special programme for you today, bringing together the financial and the political world. Caroline Hepker is at the annual conference of The City UK, which represents London's financial and professional services industries. Caroline, you've had quite the morning. Some fascinating conversations about what business wants from the government. Yeah, absolutely. It's been such an interesting morning. I think what I take away from the discussions that I've had with the FCA, with the CEO of the London Stock Exchange, the CEO of Deutsche Bank here in the UK, is this idea of risk that we need to, in the UK, think more about risk. We can't de-risk everything when it comes to investments because if you do that, you don't get good enough returns. So that was, that I think is the driving message actually here at the City UK, that the UK needs to do better, uh, needs to allow more risk to flourish in the, in the right sense of the word so that we make better returns on the investments that we, that we make for pension funds and much more. I think a couple of other things that I'd mention There needs to be more clarity on industrial policy. That did seem to come uh, quite clearly through with conversations that we had, including with Gareth Davies, who's the Exchequer Secretary to the Treasury, and that there needs to be uh, more talent acquisition in the UK, but talent acquisition of people with the right skills. There is still kind of skills mismatch in the UK, so we talked a little bit about that. And lastly, Stephen... I think perhaps the most difficult and most controversial area is the events that have happened with Crispin OD and OD asset management and the implosion of the CBI under sexual harassment allegations. Crispin OD denies those allegations against him. But I think it has raised again this issue of, um, of, of sexual harassment, how that is dealt with by not just individuals and companies, but also by regulators. So I put the, you know, that question to a number of guests that we had on this morning. So um, joining me on the panel that we're going to play for you now was 
Gareth Davies, as I mentioned, who's a Conservative MP, Exchequer Secretary to the Treasury, Julia Hoggart, the CEO of the London Stock Exchange, Chris Lay, who's the CEO of Marsh McLennan, they're big in insurance and also in hiring, um, Tina Lee is the UK CEO of Deutsche Bank. And I began by speaking to Tina Lee about whether she is more optimistic or pessimistic about the UK economy right now. So I definitely fall in the category of half glass full. Um, of course, I think there is a tendency sometimes in the media to focus on the equity market. I'm sure Julia will talk at length about, uh, about the whole listings topics. But of course, I do think it's always worthwhile to really acknowledge actually the complexity and the depth of the ecosystem that we have here in the UK. We all know our strengths in private credit, whether it's private equity, venture capital, assets under management with hedge funds, only second to, to, to New York. You know, so there's actually a lot here to play with. Um, so when I sort of think about competitiveness and I think about, you know, is the UK investable, for example, mm. um, for us here in the UK, you know, we've also contributed to the foreign direct investment in, in our offer for numerous securities. We think that the UK is absolutely investable for us. And in fact, it represents a great opportunity for our franchise to really plug into the many small and medium-sized companies who's, who are headquartered outside the, uh, London, and give them the opportunity to plug into the platform of a global investment bank. So I think it's absolutely investable. Um, of course, you know, is it perfect? Of course it's not perfect. There's always things that we can do better. Um, and in terms of really continuing to attract investment, you know, clearly the Edinburgh reforms, which Bruce had mentioned earlier, I think were welcomed. Um, I think some people complained, well, they weren't really radical enough. Um, but quite frankly, I think a lot of it aligned with the industry's view for evolution rather than revolution. There really isn't an appetite for some regulatory race to the bottom. Um, so actually the way that the consultations and the discussions have happened, I think is something to be welcomed, but clearly there's a lot more to do. The one area which I would highlight is just around taxation. Um, of course, there's been a lot of moves in terms of corporation tax, moving from 19 to 25%, uh, but also for financial services firms and banks in particular, we're still operating in a sort of post-financial crisis environment with a 3% surcharge, and of course, the bank levy here in the UK. Um, in Europe, for example, their equivalent of the bank levy is disappearing at the end of this year. So what that means, again, when one looks long-term rather than, oh, well, what's gonna happen over the next quarter, um, is, is what that means in terms of decisions over the medium term around where to allocate capital and where to position people and ultimately where to set up new businesses. So again, streamlining of taxation, I think would be helpful. Um, Julia Hoggart, may I turn to you? Thank you so much, Tina. Um, I mean, London has suffered a few knocks and Paris is biting at our heels. So I suppose I'd ask also as an opening question to you, Julia, who, who do, how do you think we're going to attract more businesses to list in the UK? Well, I think let, let's start, I'll slightly do a, a Tina and start yeah. with the, the glass, glass half full. We are by any measure the, um, the largest venue in Europe. Okay? And I understand the Bloomberg numbers that we used. They're not how we understand the, the ratio and the relationship. We are about a trillion ahead of Paris by any measure. Um, and the last time um, I think Europe tried to compare themselves to us, they combined six exchanges together to do so. So let, let's take that front. Our major competition is actually with the US. Yeah. Um, and that's how it should be. Um, so my baseline is we should always aspire to be the largest venue in Europe, and we remain so. 
Um, I think the reality is that you are going to see individual companies choose to do individual, make individual choices. There's a very big one that made a very one that's very high profile. Um, but the, the key thing for me is what is the structure of our regime as a whole and how do we make sure it continues to evolve? And the simple reality is that actually quite a lot of the way we function was stuck in a bit of aspic for a while. Um, the listing rules hadn't changed since the 80s and the way value is created nowadays has changed. If you actually look, I looked at recently, if you look at where, how much of the S&P 500, the value is made up of IP, it's absolutely transformed over the last um, 30 years. Mm. And actually our listing rules were based on fixed asset companies throwing off cash. They weren't based on the IP high growth companies that we actually start here and generate here. Mm. So that level of reflexiveness of both looking inwards and doing an honest mark to market and looking outwards and seeing what the competitive environment is, is critical to the evolution of the market. But that is now changing in a way that I have not seen in 25 plus years in the market. So we have listing reform coming through for both primary and secondary capital raising in a way that I think is very compelling. We have work going on about the research environment in the UK to improve uh, access to research. We have an enormous conversation going on about pension, uh, pension and insurance and releasing that capital back into the UK economy because we have seen 20 years of de-equitisation in this country. Um, we are starting to have proper conversations about the level of burden that are placed on those companies when they list and corporate governance and stewardship. And we are genuinely talking about how we enhance the scale-up ecosystem. All those things are happening right now. Um, and you could, you could move forward to the middle of next year and see that actually an awful lot of that work had been done. But, and this is the glass half empty bit, we have a habit in this country of standing back and admiring the problem and not actually recognising when we are making material progress. Um, and we talk ourselves down in a way that I find, I have to say, intensely frustrating because it isn't borne out by the facts. Very often it's, oh, isn't it dreadful that this has happened in the UK when exactly the same thing has happened in every other capital market centre in the world, but we don't make that point. Um, so there was a headline recently about UK at risk of losing its fintech status. Um, the next line, the first opening line of the article was, we are the number one home for fintechs anywhere in the world. Now, when have we celebrated that? Um, we actually need to be able to reflect on our strengths and build on them and have that as the narrative that we talk about. Otherwise, some of this becomes self-fulfilling, I think. Um, Gareth Davies, uh, let me turn to you then on that point. Um, well, that must be quite a reassuring message then for government, having come through a very, very turbulent year. Um, how is the UK government going to deliver on all of this when we're less than 15 months out from potentially the next election? And as I say, this is a new administration trying to get to grips with these issues? Uh, well, thank you. This is not new to me. I hear this all the time and it's quite right that we, uh, first of all, shouldn't talk ourselves down. We are building off an incredibly strong base. Um, that's not newsworthy. That's why we don't hear a lot about it. But it is true that we are genuinely world leaders in lots of different areas, not least in the sector that we are all talking about today. And so we're building off a position of strength. But I'll, I'll be uh, nice to our friends in the media and just say that we shouldn't be complacent no. and that we always have to sort of strive for uh, further competitiveness, particularly as relates to the United States. And so we've, um, you know, we're, we're constantly minded of, of making sure that we've got a regulatory environment, a fiscal environment, uh, and you have the stability of government and decision making for um, for investment from around the world. We're actually, in terms of FDI, we're the third largest in terms of FDI. So I actually don't, 
buy either that we're, we're, we should be sort of licking our wounds on, on uh, our investability either. Clearly, investments are being made every single day, but we are not complacent on that. Okay. Um, in terms of um, regulation, uh, Chris Lay, how concerned are businesses that you speak to about the regulatory back backdrop? How positive actually are they? Yeah, thanks, Caroline. Well, just before I come to that, maybe I'll, I'll build off the comments that were made here about the, uh, the leading position we have, because uh, there's a temptation to dive into the challenges, perhaps, of, of, of regulation. But uh, Marsh McLennan, we're, we're a risk strategy and people firm. It's Marsh, Guy Carpenter, Mercer, Oliver Wyman. We're focused on the risk and insurance industry, which is the, we're the fourth largest, actually, um, insurance and long-term savings market in the world, and the second largest, if you look just at insurance. Um, absolutely critical to underpinning sort of growth in the economy, uh, employing 320, 330,000 people, of which I think 75% now are outside of London, uh, which, is, which is important. So we do have a, a good sense as to what our clients are telling us about uh, the ease of doing business in what's a really, I think, an important fundamental enabler for, for, for them in terms of supporting their investment and their ambitions for innovation. Uh, for entrepreneurs to take risk, which is where we spend a lot of our time. Um, and I think when, when we think about regulation, um, we, we, on the one hand, want the confidence that uh, this great regulatory environment that we have in the UK gives to, to, to investors. Um, but we also need the agility and the speed, um, the, the flexibility and the proportionate approach that uh, enables investment uh, decisions to be taken. Um, you know, risk, we always say risk is a good thing. You know, risk is, enables growth, but we often seem to live in a world now where um, we, we talk about risk elimination. It's just not reality. We can't eliminate risk. We need to actually understand it better. We need to work harder on the data. Uh, we need to actually uh, think about appetite and, uh, and tolerance to risk but not eliminating risk. Mm. I think sometimes the regulatory framework uh, drives us too much in that direction. Um, it also focuses on cost and not necessarily value. Um, and so what I hear from, from our clients is, can we, can we actually embrace risk in a more positive way because we have a massive opportunity here? Uh, and can we actually think more about the value that we're creating and not that the cheapest is the best? or the most eliminated risk is the best solution. I suppose I'll, I'll push back though on this one point. Um, on pensions, for example, there have been a whole host of, of ideas to try to galvanise that risk, right, from the Lord Mayor of the City of London, the £50 billion growth fund that he wants. And then just this morning, 10 of the biggest UK pension funds say, no, they actually want to pause listing reform. So in some senses, when that reform does come to try to encourage risk and to try to build um, you know, UK growth companies, then there's pushback from the industry. What do you make of that, Julia? So I have a, actually quite a simple way of thinking about this. If you look at the de-equitisation of UK pension funds, asset management in UK listed equities, okay, and I have looked some of this up, the vast majority of those institutions that are saying we don't want change direct more of their pensioners' money into companies listed overseas that have exactly the rules that the FCA are trying to move to than they do into UK companies. So their actual money isn't making that point. And I think that's one of the things we have to be quite open about and say the simple reality is 
we need to make sure that we have a level playing field for companies to choose where they want to get access to their capital. Um, and Mark Austin, um, who wrote the Secondary Capital Raising Review, says this a lot. There is no point in having a theoretically perfect market that people don't use. Um, and therefore, making sure that we... And all the FCA's rules are trying to do is create a level playing field to what happens in Europe and what happens in the US. That's the, that's the only difference. Um, and the, the proof of where UK money has gone has been that CIOs and CEOs have chosen to direct their capital into those other markets without those protections. And so, and I actually think we have a spectacular regulator for our markets, and they do an incredibly good job, and they're incredibly disciplined about applying the rules. There is a great advisory environment around it, and, and actually a great deal of oversight in our market that is very effective. Um, but we are setting extraordinary demands on companies listed here that are not set in other jurisdictions. And therefore, this is really about creating a level playing field. Yeah, I wonder also about the depth. I mean, the depth of the financial markets in the US is obviously the other argument to that, that that's why people listen. Um, Tina Lee, is the focus on equities actually self-defeating? And we've sort of almost touched on that already. Um, might London actually be better served really focusing in greater depth on private markets? I don't think it's a binary decision. No. I mean, we're all part of the same ecosystem. So, so whether you're looking to raise financing, whether you're looking to raise equity, we want to be attracting that investment and the ability to do that here into the UK. I think one of the real strengths about London versus other financial centres is actually that cross-border nature of a lot of the financing that we do. And therefore, your point, Julia, actually about the level playing field becomes incredibly important because almost in every transaction, if you have a UK company, there'll be a foreign company on the other side. Sometimes it's UK to UK, but a lot of the time there'll be a foreign company. So actually making sure that we're internationally competitive becomes really critical. So yes, we have seen tremendous growth, as I said, in the, um, in the, private, in the private markets. We have to make sure that it continues to be a place where people want to manage assets and want to locate people. And that's really important. But the EU have got that in their sights and they mm. are determined to build, even though one doesn't exist now, a, a, at least one significant financial centre in, in Europe. That is true. Um, but at the same time, there is still a very fragmented European landscape. Um, there continues to be a real desire for, as we know, strategic autonomy, for the creation of capital markets union, banking union. Mm. But we're a long way away. So in spite of the fact that's something that Deutsche Bank would be very supportive of, that is not in sight in the foreseeable future. So there's everything to play for at this point. Chris Lay, has Brexit added to regulation or cut it? What's the direction in terms of the weight of, of regulation? I mean, in the insurance market, that's clearly very important to your business. <clears throat> it's very important. I would say clearly it's, uh, it's not been helpful, uh, not having a freedom of services regime for us. Uh, but at the same time, when I look at... Um, inward flow into the UK, um, about two thirds of the, the, uh, the London insurance markets, uh, premiums are actually coming from elsewhere in the world and the largest contributor is the US. Um, you know, EU was a relatively small proportion compared to the US. And so, um, and when you look at invested capital into the London market, uh, the US and Asia were very important. So um, we, it's important to think more holistically. Um, uh, and make sure we're supporting that as we go forwards. But from a European perspective, you know, our approach to um, trying to put together the right regulatory regime, 
whether it's reverse branches um, or um, enabling sort of structures for that to happen sort of efficiently, it's being clunky and difficult. And I think that that um, is certainly something that, that concerns us as we try to work through that. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, what is helpful is, is at least the memorandum of understanding between the UK and the EU has now been signed this week. And, and whilst I think everyone is at pains to point out, look, this isn't going to all of a sudden wave a magic wand, I think it does, number one, really change the mood music between the UK and the EU, which is critically mm. important. Um, but it just does give a framework around future discussion in a structured way which I think is helpful. Yeah, on the regulatory level, okay. first of which will happen in September. Gareth, do you think that we are settled in terms of the direction of travel for the UK? Is it now closer ties with the EU? Uh, well, first of all, we want a strong, productive relationship with our friends and partners in Europe. And the MOU this week, I think, marks a bit of a, a turning point in terms of those discussions and creates a great forum for, for future progress. Um, I don't think anybody's suggesting that we want to in any way depart from a strong relationship with the incredibly strong economies in Europe, but we also want to look beyond Europe and have strong relationships around the world, forge new trade uh, agreements, and look at how we can capture the opportunities of not being in the European Union. Brexit has happened and we now need to capture every opportunity we can um, in anywhere we can, and that work is ongoing at the moment. Maybe Caroline might just add yeah. that, I mean, apart from the regulatory challenge, what I'm hearing more from clients is the, the actual risk challenges around things like managing supply chains effectively, uh, trying to get hold of their, their cyber resiliency strategies. Um, it's become much more challenging uh, in a post-Brexit world. And so we should focus, I think, on where our businesses uh, particularly our SME client base is, is, is really trying to grapple with growth and what, that, uh, what some of the things are that we need to do to enable that to happen, not just the regulatory environment that we're operating in in the financial services sector. I mean, on a broader basis, that is something that I have heard time and time again. You know, the fact that the semiconductor strategy took so long to emerge from government and that industrial policy has changed quite a lot in 10 years so to the ministers who are in charge of it. That's something that has concerned a lot of business people who speak to us both domestically and globally. Um, I suppose is there, do you think that is government listening? Is that changing that industrial strategy for Britain as far as you're concerned and your clients are concerned? Well, I think with the, with the, with the sort of the rapidly changing sort of risk environment, there's, there's even greater demand for a clearer industrial strategy. Um, and, and clearer could, include things like um, understanding what you know a green taxonomy actually means or uh, enabling um, greater clarity around how we might invest in a, in a UK solvency regime versus a, uh, a European one that uh, we've come out of or coming out of. So I think there's a real demand for greater clarity. Okay. Um, taxation, is that a key issue that is hampering business. Um, Tina, I know you've got views on corporation tax. Is that the biggest problem for the UK or other? It's not the biggest there? problem, um, but it's just around reducing complexity and streamlining. <laughs> um, and, and ultimately, you know, particularly because of, uh, one's always very mindful on what's happening in other jurisdictions because one always wants to remain internationally competitiveness, uh, competitive, which is obviously why I then mentioned something like the UK bank levy 
because the single resolution fund has been in place in Europe ever since the financial crisis. There have been significant contributions for all, from all financial institutions. That actually ends this year, whereas, for example, the UK bank levy is indefinite. Mm. So there are sort of areas where you sort of look back now, here we are sort of 15 years on from the financial crisis, going, OK, is that now still fit for purpose? Is it appropriate to have a tax on size of balance sheets? It feels like a bit of a clunky tool to use. The Conservatives still seem to be having a significant argument around the taxation issue. The fiscal situation is extremely difficult, so trying to deliver tax cuts in time for the next general election is going to be very difficult, and surely the priority will be consumers rather than businesses. Well, look, we want taxes to come down, but as you say, we are in a very challenged position. If you look over the last um, 15 years, we've had three global shocks. Two of them have happened in the last three years. So we've had quite a lot to do over the last few years, and we've provided an unprecedented level of support to businesses and consumers, um, whether it's through COVID or the energy crisis. And so obviously that needs to be uh, paid for. Um, but at the same time, I would just suggest that we, we actually are still competitive when it comes to taxation. Yes, we've increased corporation tax, but it's still the lowest in the G7. Uh, for example, we have one of the, large, one of the most generous um, capital allowance uh, regimes, uh, thanks to the spring budget, of anywhere in the OECD. Um, so I, I just, I'm not entirely convinced by the argument that uh, we're uncompetitive when it comes to taxation, but do we want to get taxes down? Of course we do, and we want to incentivise growth and investment, um, but we always have to balance in government, making difficult decisions between the, 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 the de debt situation and, and the revenue situation, and, and we, we are where we are at the moment. Mm. Um, in terms of talent and attracting talent to the UK and um, the issues around the migration rules. I mean, actually immigration into the UK has gone up significantly. How do you get the best people to come and continue to create businesses in, in Britain? I suppose I could start with you. Uh, I think, I mean, London as a, as a city has always attracted people from all over the world. Mm. I th I, for me, I don't, I don't have a silver bullet, but I do think sometimes we don't frame it actually as the opportunity that it is. So it's a, it's a negatively framed conversation rather than actually the idea that, that what we need as an economy is the best skills and the best capabilities to help drive the economy to improve quality of life for everybody. Um, and actually some of this is a talent acquisition strategy. It's not really about immigration, it's about talent acquisition. And how do we do that as an economy? And that is both about building skill sets and capabilities and training within the economy, but also reflecting that on occasion, we want to bring the best from all over the world uh, to come and work here to, to contribute to what we do here. So that was my panel from the City UK annual conference with Gareth Davies, the Exchequer Secretary to the Treasury, Julia Hoggett, who is the London Stock Exchange CEO, the CEO of Marsh McLennan UK, Chris Lay, and Tina Lee, who's the UK CEO for Deutsche Bank, speaking to me at the conference. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Bloomberg UK Politics. So joining together the worlds of politics, economics, this programme was produced by James Walcock and Christopher Pitt. Our audio engineer was John Wasserman. I'm Caroline Hepke. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.